You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Today, uh, as we turn to Luke chapter 1, I want to give you what uh, could be considered an origin story for Christmas. Uh, We won't go into the full Christmas story, but we're going to go into the, uh, I'll call it the prequel. Have you noticed that Hollywood's kind of obsessed with prequels in the last 20 years? Uh, So rather than come up with new stories, we just have prequels of old stories. So if Samson had a hairbrush, we're going to find out how he got the hairbrush. (laughs) And, and, and some of you get the VeggieTales reference there. Uh, I know who our church kids are. Come on, somebody. Uh, but uh, I, I love this season. I love the, the chance to decorate for our kids. We always, the day after Thanksgiving, we decorate our Christmas tree. Uh, and we have probably the ugliest ornament on our tree has become my favorite ornament. It actually comes from when I was a kid. It was an ornament that my mom would always hide in the back of the tree. And so I was the one who wanted to keep that at front and center. And so every year now, we've made it a tradition in our family that that is the first ornament that goes on the tree. And uh, it always, without fail, almost always gets relocated to the back of our tree now. That tradition has been passed on and continued, but I, I just love it uh, nonetheless. And so, uh, but, but I love the season. You know, we also have a lot of great Christmas Christmas songs. I, my first Christmas song I ever learned was Jingle Bells. Who, how many of you, that was your first song you ever learned? Jingle Bells. Uh, yeah, two of you. Okay. Some of you are like, I don't remember. I just learned the songs. And I get the eggnog. Uh, but but here's, here's what the second song I learned was uh, a form of Jingle Bells. It involved Batman, Robin, and the Joker. <laughs> And it's weird that that still is continuing because I never taught that to my kids. Like, like, I don't even know if they know what a Batmobile is, and yet they learn that song too, and it has continued on. Uh, my absolute favorite Christmas song by far, and we're going to sing it, Pastor Leslie's going to sing it and lead it out uh, on Christmas, our Christmas services, is Oh Holy Night. Uh, and and it, is, it's, it is my all-time favorite Christmas song. It really is. Uh, and, and these lines are in that song that speak of the night that Jesus came from heaven to earth, born in a manger, uh, and the reason we celebrate Christmas. And I'm just going to read these lines. I'm not going to sing these lines, these lyrics. I, I, you can be thankful for that. Um, I'm just going to read it. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And here's where the title comes from today, a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope. If you're taking notes, write that down as our title today. And it goes right into the next part of the line, the weary world rejoices. The reason the world that is weary with sin, burden and sin, and error as it describes, bound with oppression, the oppression that spiritual darkness has brought into the world, and light came to invade where there was darkness. That light is Jesus. And Christmas, we know that he is the reason we celebrate Christmas every year. It's a reason we sing songs that most people don't even realize Jesus is at the center of those Christmas songs. And, and yet, here's the thrill of hope, that where there was hopelessness, there is a promise. Where there was emptiness, he comes to fill. Where there was loss, he comes to make us found. Where there was bondage to sin, he comes to set us free. And that is the good news of Christmas, and that is the good news of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we see the prequel to that night. 
The, the origin story to that night is a woman gets the news that she's going to be a part of a miracle. This woman is Mary. Now in the sixth month, verse 26, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, saw Gabriel the angel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, now anytime you read in the Bible when somebody has a, is, is disturbed or afraid at the appearance of an angel, there's a reason. It was believed that if you saw an angel, it meant you were about to be dead or you were dead. And so that's what, they're, they're often afraid or worried. And that's why the oftentimes, most often, an angel will start with this message. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid right now. And this is the message for her. You have favor. Instead of fear, you are favored. Here's what he tells her. You have found favor with God, verse 30, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name. Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I don't think you could get a bigger piece of news in a more obscure place. Nazareth is, if there are small towns, this place is even smaller. I, I found out that not every town, a few years ago, I had a, a memorial service uh, at a cemetery in a, in a town south, south of here, south of Mason City, and I'm showing up to uh, the cemetery, and I made the mistake of before the service, I drank too much water, uh, and I showed up, and I thought, well, before the service, I'm going to run and find a restroom. I know it's too much information, but uh, I, I found out that there was not a single public restroom in this entire town. I thought, well, at least I can find a gas station. And then I found out this town did not have a gas station. So I thought you have to at least have a gas station to qualify as a town, but not necessarily. Well, if I could, if I could describe Nazareth as that, that's Nazareth. Nazareth is a place that has no gas station, that has no bathroom, it has no, I, obviously. Uh, but, but it's a place that is so obscure and so, for, for Israel, in fact, years later, when the announcement comes that Jesus is arriving and he's the Messiah and he's coming to proclaim the message of the kingdom to the nation of Israel, somebody says of Jesus, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the reputation Nazareth has. And yet in that place, that obscure corner of Israel, that obscure little place, the greatest message, the greatest news comes, and it's this message that Jesus is coming from heaven to earth. And God is gonna use Mary to be the means by which the most amazing miracle, the birth that, that God himself would be made flesh, that the son of God, fully God, would become the son of man, also fully man. And we know the reason he did this was because it would take a man without sin to pay the price for our sins, to take the place of sinners. Jesus was the only one who would be without sin. We've all fallen short. We all sinned. We've all failed. But here's what I love about this story. In fact, the origin of the Christmas story isn't even there. In fact, if, if you look at the Gospels, there's four Gospel accounts. These are four eyewitness accounts given by early church leaders 
of the story of Jesus and of all the things that he did leading up to the cross and then the resurrection. And uh, two of those seem to have an obvious Christmas story, Matthew and Luke. In fact, Luke is probably the one, I'll be sharing from Luke with the Christmas story this next week, Luke chapter two uh, of the birth of Jesus is probably the most well-known of those. If you were in a Christmas play as a kid, you probably recited, anybody play the angels? Okay, we don't have any, any actors in the room. Okay, that's fine. And yet, here's what happens. We, we know that those are Christmas stories. Did you know Christmas also is in the story of John? In John chapter one, it tells us God's side of the Christmas plan, the Christmas story, what brought hope to the world. It says this, in the beginning, John chapter one, verse one, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Before he had even formed the heavens and the earth, before a single star burned in the sky, before a single rock was placed on the earth, before a single creature walked or crawled on planet earth, here's what I want you to see. God already was, and God already had a plan. And here's the beauty of the Christmas story. It goes on in verse, I believe it's verse 14. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the miracle of the story of Christmas, that God himself stepped into the story. There is a, 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 a story of the man named uh, Yuri Gagarin. He was the first astronaut, the first human being to go into space. And he was sent by the Russians, the Soviets. And being a Russian communist, a Soviet a member of Soviet society, he was an atheist, did not believe in God. And when he was launched into space, he came back and he gave this report. I went to space, but I didn't find God there. When C.S. Lewis heard that, C.S. Lewis was an atheist who became a Christian and was a well-known defender of the faith. He's the, known for writing Narnia and all those stories. But, but here's what uh, C.S. Lewis said in response to that, that message, that news. He said, well, you can't find God like a person goes from one floor of the building to another floor. He said, the way to find God is like understanding the reason why you can't find God like that is because it's like if, if Shakespeare wrote a play, the characters of the play don't know who Shakespeare is unless Shakespeare writes himself into the story. And the gospel, the good news is that God wrote himself into the story by sending himself in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem, born in a manger, coming through the person of Mary to deliver a child to planet earth that was born for a purpose and he was born to die on a cross. He was born to take our sin. He was born to take our place. And three days later, after he was crucified for our sins, he rose from the dead. That's what Christmas is for. It all began with a promise. And here in this story, we see an angel from heaven come to Mary in this backwater place called Nazareth, and he comes to tell her this, there is hope coming to the world. This hope has a name. He says, you shall name this child Jesus. I've got three points for you today looking at the thrill of hope. Number one is that hope has a source. Hope has a source. God is the author. Just like Shakespeare wrote the play, God is the author of the story. God is the author of your story and mine. He's the author of history. And he's the author of Christmas, sending Jesus the greatest gift that's ever been given. 
And he sent Jesus for a purpose, to bring us salvation and hope that is eternal. Last week I talked about having an eternal mindset and how at every season of life, whether you're starting out, starting a family, starting in your marriage, starting in your studies, starting in your career, there's a beginning season of life that's about preparation. There's a middle season that's about growth and about uh, keeping and maintaining what you've gained. But then there's a final season of life where it's about stewarding for the next generation what we've been given and and leaving a legacy behind. But here's the point of all of that. All of that comes to an end at some point. All of us step into eternity at some point. And the reason we can have hope as Christians stepping from this life into the next is because of Jesus. There's two words for hope in the Bible. In the Old Testament, hope is defined this way. Hope is to wait with expectation. Hope is not a wish, but it's to wait expectantly, as if at any moment things could be different. Waiting expectantly for someone you're hoping for to arrive on the scene. For 400 years from the last word of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament that is known by scholars as the silent period because there was no revelation from heaven to to earth. And what broke the silence was the news and the announcement that Jesus was coming to the earth that hope was arriving, that hope was coming on the scene. The Greek word for hope is a joyful and confident expectation of good. As Christians, we can have hope that is not like, it's not like you go and watch a Disney movie that says hope is a wish. Hope is actually something much more solid because hope is a confident expectation, a joyful expectation. Do you know why I think Christians should be the most joyful people on planet earth? And I do, by the way, <laughs> I think we should be the most joy-filled people on planet Earth. I love, I, love, I love Nick and Alex because not only are they amazing leaders and outreach leaders and have a heart and serve our church so well, they're joy carriers. I just like getting around people that are full of joy. Religious people are not full of joy. <laughs> I mean religious in the negative sense. Religious people look like they've been sucking on lemons. And then they knock on your door and say, do you want to be like us? No, I don't. (laughs) Sorry, I don't. If you have hope, you have joy. The church should be full of joy because we should be full of hope. And hope has a source. And all biblical hope throughout the entirety of the word of God is centered on a person, the person of Jesus. Everything that led to the birth of Jesus in the manger and his death on the cross and his resurrection, leaving a tomb empty behind. Everything that led up to that point was based on a promise. And everything that's happened since then in human history looks back to that promise of hope. A hope that the world does not give and the world cannot take. It's a hope that promises a future greater than what we experience now. And it's an eternal hope. It's a hope that outlasts even this life. It's a hope that's transcendent. That is, it's not conditional on what we feel and experience in this life. And here's why. Because it's based on God, not man. If your hopes, all your hopes are based on somebody else coming through, but people are fallible, make mistakes, we, we, we break promises, all of those things, then your hope will always be falling flat. But if your hope is centered on Jesus, who has never broken his promise, who has never broken his word, he's not a man that he should lie. And he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All biblical hope is centered on the person of Jesus. 
Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. What do you do when hope has an interruption? What do you do? Here's what to do when hope has an interruption. Because all of us have areas we're hoping would be different. And maybe we've even moved into a a sense of expectation of good. And in the story, Mary is getting an interruption like nobody else in human history ever has. Mary's got some plans. She's engaged to Joseph. Joseph's got a carpentry business. I mean, she's got a future. He's got a future. They've got everything worked out. They've got all their plans. They've, they've drawn up. I mean, he's a carpenter. He's probably got the place mapped out of what they're going to live in and, and how they're going to build a future together. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and brings an interruption. Now, I thank God for that interruption because that interruption to her plans meant salvation for every person that would put their faith in Jesus. That interruption changed history. But man, it was inconvenient. It was gonna require that she would be misunderstood. I mean, the first person she talks to is Joseph. Hey, Joseph, guess what? I'm gonna have a baby. And this baby's from God. Angel said, the Holy Spirit's coming upon me. I'm gonna conceive a child and it's gonna be, this child's gonna be the son of God. Sure, Mary. (laughs) In fact, we know Joseph's response. We see it in Matthew's version of this event. Matthew chapter one, verse 16. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David. Let's, let's jump ahead. Uh, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her, was, had in mind to put her away secretly. And so, you know, if you think everybody knows your business in North Iowa, try Nazareth. <laughs> but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying this, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's a pretty big interruption for both of them. And yet that interruption, while it would lead to misunderstanding, I think there's a reason why the angel told Mary you have favor, because she was gonna deal with a lot of rejection. And when you're rejected by people, you're gonna need favor from God. When people reject you, you gotta know you're accepted by heaven. You gotta know you're accepted by God, that your identity, worth, value, uh, purpose doesn't come from people only. It actually comes from heaven first. What happens when your hope gets derailed? Uh, Proverbs tells it this way, uh, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That, That verse describes what any of us, all of us deal with when we've had hopes dashed, interrupted. We had an expectation of something working out a certain way in our life. I'm sure all of us at some point have moments of our life where we say, I think I would have, I thought that things would be different by now. I thought this would be different. I thought that would be different. And yet we find ourselves at a place of disappointment or discouragement. And it's right there in the interruption where God does his greatest work. It's right there in the interruption of our plans 
hope deferred, that we actually have an opportunity to see God do his greatest miracles. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. In other words, the desire feeds your soul. It feeds you. Disappointment, prolonged disappointment. In fact, that word deferred means to drag down or to draw out, to delay. Do you have anybody in your life that takes a long time to tell a story? <laughs> like a ridiculous amount of time? Like they, what, like, like you ask them what happened and they start with what they had for breakfast. And then they brush their teeth and they go through all the details and how their car didn't have enough gas in the day. And you're like, just what is the point of the dragged out? Hope deferred communicates that idea. It's dragged down and drawn out. But it also is used elsewhere of a bowstring pulled back. And the reason why you pull a a bowstring back is because you're going to launch something. And can I just tell you, when life pulls you back, God launches you into something you wouldn't have otherwise expected. Mary's disappointment, Mary's interruption led to the opportunity for mankind to experience salvation in Jesus. Mary's interruption led to an internal God-given purpose. Now, let me, let me, let me flip something for you for a moment because I think sometimes I've been disappointed. I'll, I'll speak for me. I've been disappointed because I had my hope in the wrong thing. And God had to let my plans die so that I could get a hold of something far greater. (laughs) I'm sure it would have been nice if Mary and Joseph were able to just be like two normal people, start out like every other person in Judea and Israel would, would start out, build a life together and build a family and build a future. But God had a different plan that provided an opportunity for something eternal and and far greater. And and, and here's what I want to challenge you with. Today's delays, today's interruptions, sometimes are to cause us to surrender some hopes that are temporary and maybe not even, because that's something I have to ask myself, if, if I'm having this continually delayed, is this first from God? Because sometimes I've built my hope in something that isn't from him. I've come to God with my plans. None of you have ever done that. I've done that. I've come to God with my plans and said, God, here's what I want you to bless. And God says, I've got something far better, if you'll trust me. Do you know what was going to be required of Mary and Joseph? Trust? (laughs) Surrender? You know what Mary says in response to the angel that I believe is the difference maker? She says to the angel, and it's back in Luke chapter one, she says, let it be to me according to your word. What you just said, I'm saying amen to. I'm I'm agreeing with, I'm partnering with, I'm surrendering to the will and plan of heaven. I'm surrendering to the purpose of God. If you wanna see eternal lasting hope, you wanna see an eternal difference made in and through your life, like God did in Mary and Joseph and every other person throughout the Bible, the difference was always found right here and it's called surrender. Trust many times looks like surrendering our plan and exchanging it for God's plan. When the interruption comes, are you willing to say, God, this is all yours. What do you want to do? Let it be to me according to your promise and your word. 
God, what do you wanna do in my marriage? What do you wanna do in my family? What do you wanna do in my business? What do you wanna do with my calling? What do you wanna do, God? Let it be to me according to your plan, not mine. Can I just tell you, God always does bigger than what we could come up with on our best day. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil. You know why people have a hard time trusting is because we don't know the character of God. Your hope is only as good as the object of your hope. And God says, I want you to know and understand my thoughts towards you are of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now the big picture is eternity. All of us in Jesus can have that hope. All of us can have the hope that temporary pain can produce eternal results as God takes our pain and redeems it and brings about his purpose. Where others have hurt us, we forgive. Where, where others have let us down, we trust in God and we depend on him. When, when life doesn't provide, we find a provider named Jesus. We find forgiveness, a hope, a future, a promise, and, and we put our trust in something eternal. But can I also tell you that God wants to do something today in your life? I love what the psalmist said, Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart. That means I would have given up unless... I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So here's the response to that. He says in verse 14, wait on the Lord. That's that expectation. Wait is not past time. <laughs> it's not just check off another day. Wait means I am anticipating God. You can do something any moment, any day, at any time. And I'm praying, I'm engaging my faith. Waiting biblically is not a passive thing, it's an active thing. I'm just waiting for God. I hear that from people all the time. Well, I'm just waiting for God to change things. Well, biblically waiting means I'm still praying while I'm waiting. I'm still trusting while I'm waiting. I'm still obeying while I'm waiting. I'm still stepping out while I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm moving close to God. I'm getting connected to the source of hope. In fact, if you wanna know what to do, when interruptions come, this would be my biggest encouragement for you, is that you would draw near and stay close to the source of your hope. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Stay close to the source of hope. Here's how Romans says it in the New Testament. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. I don't have to ask if you have things right now you need to trust God with. I know we all do. I do. And here's what he says. As you trust, he fills. I just don't know how to have, how to have joy, how to have peace in the midst of this. Well, while you trust, you're going to the source and he's just continually filling. Joy and peace. And here's how he does it. He says that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you get around people who are a walking, um, let me rephrase this because it's going to be in the podcast. If you, if you get around people that, that feel like their purpose in life is to discourage everybody else, and they may not vocalize that, they just, you know, somebody tells them a dream, they tear them down. If you get around discouraged people, you'll get discouraged. 
But if you get around the God of all hope and you stay close to, because here's the reality, everybody's discouraged in some area and you've got to go to the God who is the God of continual unending hope. And the more time I spend with Jesus, the more hope-filled I become. And he fills you with the power of the Holy Spirit and says, you can't do it on your own, but I can through you. You don't have an answer on your own for your situation, but I am the answer. We draw, we draw near to the source of hope. Zechariah 9.11, I love this passage. It's, it reminds us of a promise we have in a relationship with Jesus. It says, also for you, because of the blood of your covenant, God says, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold. And he uses a little weird language here. Here's why it's weird. He calls us prisoners of hope. Even today, he said to them, I'll restore double to you. Now, it's a prophetic promise to the people of Israel who had been captives, taken away from their homeland. But here's what I want you to see. God says to them, listen, I'm going to restore and I'm going to set free because of the blood of a covenant. Do you know why God brings hope into my life and yours? It's still because of the blood of a covenant ratified through a cross where Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And the basis of everything that God does in my life is not based on if I'm good enough, if I earned it, if I worked it all out, if I've even had perfect faith in every area, but it's based upon a cross and a blood-stained sacrifice. And because of that covenant, God says, I will set free. I will restore. And I love what he calls them. He says, you're prisoners, not of the enemy, not of fear, not of shame, but you're prisoners of hope. In other words, keep captive, be connected to, be, 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 be so closely joined to hope that you're its captive. Like you can't let it go. You can't, you can't shake free of it. Hope is your DNA. And he says that because of a covenant, because of a promise. If God is the source of hope, well, that's good but if some of us feel like God is capricious or God's changing with the moment, here's what the Bible all, all the time reminds us of. In fact, if I were to tell you, I, I described through that last series, Mindsets That Matter, we talked about the names of God and the nature of God. And all of those things are good, but what if God changes? Like, we're used to people. People like, man, they got a different hairstyle every other day. Different moods, different mindsets, different uh, conversations, different attitudes, and, and that's constantly changing. That's because we live in a world that's always changing. It's never staying the same. So we have a hard time wrapping our brains around, at least I do, the reality that God is a rock in the midst of waters that are still moving. And here's how Hebrews describes it. God makes a promise, and God confirms it, by, here's how it describes. It's a word that we don't use very often in our language. Verse 16 of, of Hebrews 6. He confirms the promise by the immutability of his counsel. He confirms it by an oath. Immutability means the unchangeableness. In other words, God does not change his mind. That is good news, church. That is good news. God didn't change his mind about you. God didn't change his mind about the promise. God didn't change his mind about how we would be saved and how we'd be set free. He's made it available for every single person. God does not change. He's still the same. And because of that, it goes on and it says this, we have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. 
And this hope we have is an anchor for the soul. If you've ever been in water, on a boat, in a vessel, you're gonna be constantly moving unless you're anchored to something that keeps you fixed. And hope is the anchor, and here's the anchor. We're connected to the presence of God and the promise of God that's unchanging. In, in this verse, he goes on and he says that that anchor is like a, 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 a cord that goes through the veil of the Old Testament into the Holy of Holies, and, and it enters into the presence behind the veil. The picture there is, is a high priest once a year when he would make atonement and offer the sacrifice for Israel's sins. He would enter in through the, the curtain that separated a holy God from the nation. And this high priest would enter through the curtain and he would offer the sacrifice. But if the priest was unworthy, he could die in the presence of God. And here's what they did. The priest, because you couldn't go in there after him to, to pull the guy out if he dropped dead, they tied a cord to his ankle. So that, and they literally had bells around the, the bottom of his garment. And if they stopped hearing bells, <laughs> pull the rope. And that's the picture that this verse gives us that we have something that ties us to the presence of God and keeps you connected. And it's the presence of God that's unchangeable, immutable, and provides us a strong and confident hope. Number three is we need to be deliverers of hope. We need to deliver hope. First Peter 1.13 says, here's what you and I should do as Christians because you can't give what you don't first have. I can't bring hope to others if I don't first have it. Here's, here's what we do daily. I don't think that's the right verse. I gave the wrong one. Verse 13. I'll just read it to you. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So here's what he says. Set your hope on Jesus. Set your hope on Christ. Set your hope on God. And as you begin to do that, here's what happens. You begin to receive hope that is not meant to stay with you. The Bible says it this way. Peter would go on and he would write this. You must always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. So people are going to say, when the world is going crazy, and if you haven't noticed, it's been going crazy for a long time, because anything without God will fall to pieces, spiritually, morally, in every way. Whenever we get outside of God's plan and God's design, it falls to pieces. Here's the thing. Where darkness comes in, there's an opportunity to be light. Yes. Because Jesus is still the same. The promise is still the same. The hope is still the same. People have not changed in that they still need hope. And here's what I found. The more I give it away, the more I have it. Uh, there's a biblical principle. We call it sowing and reaping. And it works for positive things. It works for negative things. If you give judgment, judgment comes back. Jesus said that in Luke 6. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. He says, when we sow hope, when we give hope, hope comes back. And do you know the purpose that Mary and Joseph, because I, I, if I could just think of Joseph for a second, like Joseph's calling for the next season of his life is to help Mary deliver something that has nothing to do with him. Like, can you devote yourself to something that you didn't start? Yeah. 
Can you devote yourself to something that's bigger than you? Joseph is like one of the most unsung heroes of the Bible because he was willing to be misunderstood and to stand beside Mary as she carried the Son of God. He's willing to protect. He's willing to shepherd and guide and, and nurture and cover and lead and help deliver what wasn't of him, but it was of God. And I wonder if we can have that same heart that we look at others and say, I want to help you get to Jesus. I want to help you find hope. I want to help carry hope to you. Where you're empty, I want to point you to the one who fills. Do you know what the Bible says? And I'll finish with this. Colossians 1 describes the, the coming of Jesus in this way and how since that time, I mean, Nick described it, we get to represent and carry Jesus to those that are in our city, our families, our communities. Here's where that idea comes from, Colossians 1.26, the mystery which had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now it's been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mary's calling was to carry Jesus. And while that moment is unique in all of history, that the virgin would conceive a child and that child would be Emmanuel, God with us, and he would come to be the sinless sacrifice, the son of God. Do you know what spiritually all of us are called to do? We're called to carry Jesus to a world that needs hope. We're called to deliver hope to a world that's lost, that needs to be found. And if I could make it with a little bit of a sense of urgency, no one else is coming. God sent his church to carry Jesus. And there's a lot of ways we can bring hope to the world. There's a lot of things we do that are just religious that maybe win Facebook arguments but don't bring life. <laughs> but you know what the world needs? Needs hope. Maybe you need hope right now. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Man, people told me for years there would never be a Chick-fil-A in Mason City. <laughs> but when the desire comes, it's time to get your hope. Time to get your hope. Would you stand to your feet? Prayer team, if you would come to the front. I want to ask you, do you have this hope that I've described? It's a hope that comes from Jesus. It's not just meant to be a story, but it's meant to be an encounter. I love what the angel told Joseph. He said, this is Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh shall save. And then he says that this is a fulfillment 
of the promise in the Old Testament that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Why did Jesus come to save us from our sins? Because our sins separate us from God. The reason we have no hope apart from the life of God is because sin creates separation. Our own sin and shame. A fear of the future, a fear of death even. Hopelessness. But here's the good news. Jesus comes to set us free. There's no sin you've committed that's too great for his grace and forgiveness. There's no failure, there's no past, there's no history, there's no mess that's too great for the goodness and grace of God to redeem, restore, wash away. And here's why, because Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. I'm asking you to do this, if you bow your heads and close your eyes, we'll be out of here in just a moment. But if you're in here and you don't have the hope I'm describing, Hope begins with a person named Jesus. As you and I recognize that Jesus came for you and he came for me. He came to the most unlikely person, the most unlikely place, born in a manger. A king left his throne in heaven. And the reason why is he did it for you. And he took a cross and he bore my sin and yours. And he died upon that cross. And he paid the ultimate price because sin to be forgiven, not ignored, but really forgiven, really dealt with, there had to be a sacrifice. The price had to be paid. And we have a choice. We can pay for our own sins or we can let God pay for ours through Jesus. And I wanna tell you, when you receive the sacrifice of Jesus and you make him Lord of your life, You put your trust in him. Here's what you have, a hope. The hope of heaven. The hope of forgiveness. The hope of joy, of peace. The hope of freedom. Today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never put your trust in him, this is your opportunity right here and now. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm not ready yet. I said that for a long time. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Today's the day of salvation. It's not an accident you're here. I don't know how you ended up here this morning, but I know why you're here. Because God brought you here. And God loves you. He's for you. He wants you so desperately to know him. He wants to be with you. For you to have a relationship with him. If you've been a Christian, but you've been far from God, Today, you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Jesus. You need a new beginning. The good news of what I've described to you is that hope is for you. You can have a new beginning with Jesus. If either those are for you, to begin a relationship with God or to come back to God, I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer right now. I believe God's stirring, he's calling, he's inviting you right now to know him. Would you respond to him? I'm gonna ask you to do this with no one looking around, but you say, that's me, Brian. I need Jesus in my life. Would you pray for me? I'm gonna ask you, you would lift your hand to God. Say, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need a relationship with you. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer now, and I'm gonna ask every Christian in here to pray this with us. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my savior. Be Lord of my whole life. Today, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I believe you died for me. 
and I believe you rose from the dead. Today I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just need hope, man, we have a hope giver. We have a hope giver. Set your mind fully and rest it upon the hope that's revealed in Jesus. It'd be our honor and privilege as we close now to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, if you need healing, freedom, praying for your family, your marriage, your, your kids, your future, whatever it is, just whatever you need prayer for, would you let us pray with you? We love you guys. We'll dismiss now. Don't forget, next Sunday morning, we don't have our regular services. Those will start back in two weeks. But join us for Christmas. If we don't see you, if you're traveling, have a great Merry Christmas. We love you guys. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.